We tell you all the time we're not a perfect church or perfect people. I'm not a perfect pastor either. We are here because we need God's help, and he's provided that hope through Jesus Christ our Lord, and he is amazing. You know, uh, he is. He's so good. We were celebrating this, and uh, as you know, and maybe you don't know, but Randy Prince uh, went to be with Jesus this week. He was in, uh, killed on his motorcycle uh, this, this past week. There's a little cross back there for, uh, on the seat that he usually sits in. And so we're just asking for all of you that are part of Full Throttle to sign that for him. And there's a reason why I would bring this up. Um, I'm not even, like, I'm, I'm shocked that how it happens and how fast and the fact that last Sunday morning, one week ago right now, I, Randy was one of the first people to get to church, and he would either be um, waiting for us to get that coffee out there or over there at it immediately, right? He would be the first person at the coffee because he's one of the first people here, and then he would come in every week. If I wasn't over the, either over there or over by him, he would come and see me, and he would tell me he loved me and thankful for me being in his life and for Jesus and all that, you know. And he's like, every time we talk and we're in service, I'm crying. And he's like, I was never like that. God changed his life. God changed his life. I want you to know that. <clears throat> if you knew Randy, you know that his history was addiction and brokenness. It was. I'm not, I'm not speaking bad about him. That's what happens when... We don't follow God's ways. We're susceptible to things of the world. And, and everything in his life was in upheaval in, the, in his past. And then when we come to this place where we recognize our brokenness and we allow God to come in, then God begins to move. Amen. And so as we look at this and as we now are here doing a baby dedication that God had already set up, and I was looking at these things and I think of what God's word says where one generation passes and another comes and it's kind of like this cyclical cycle of things that are happening constantly. My wife and I, uh, both, you know, both of our sets of our grandparents are dead, and both of our parents are dead, and uh, we're it. As I stood there with my wife, as our last parent was gone, and I looked at her, and I'm like, this is very strange that we're the generation now. It's us. There is nobody over us, it's us, and pretty soon we're going to be gone. Now, that wasn't like a moment of depression, it's a moment of reality. Everything in life is cons consistently moving, and it's changing all the time. And as we stand here today and we pray over these little kids that are here, we have no idea what the future holds for them, none. No idea what they're going to do with their life, what God's plan is, the choices they're going to make. We don't know. One of the reasons we dedicate them, we're like, God, we don't have a clue. I remember when we had our first son, David Jr., and I was like, uh, when Kim told me we were going to have a child, I was freaked out. I mean, I wanted a kid, and we planned on having a kid, but the reality of that moment just completely freaked me out. And I was looking in the mirror, and I was like, God, I'm a kid myself. I don't know what I'm doing Please help me. The reality of my need of God and something more than I was and am was never more real than in that moment when I looked at myself and said, you are now responsible for this human being that God is entrusting you with. And I was just like, wow, it was crazy. Prior to us having a child, 
My wife and I had a conversation that many today, I've heard that, I've heard people talk to me about it, is do we even want to bring a child into this world? Because we look around us and we think things are so bad. Like, what does the future hold for them? And what is this? And what does it look like? And so some of us are afraid of like, we want to put it. But I want you to know it's been like this since it entered the world. The world has been damaged by sin that we brought into it and corrupted from the beginning of sin, not the beginning of time. God made it perfect. We screwed it up. And so as we look at that, it's like, well, what is the hope of the future? It's the same hope we have today. Our only hope is God. There is no hope in any other. And so as we look at that and we begin to see this, we need to understand that things aren't getting worse. They are the worst when sin came. We perceive things differently and we see things differently and maybe some of our own personal aspects of life are not good. But there is good in life. There is. And I am blessed to be alive today. And I'm excited about life. And I don't care about balloons flying over the country. I think it should have been shot down long before it was. But, but I don't care. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you understand that God's above that? And that he knows? He knows what's going on. He's not like, I wonder what they're going to do next. Let's figure this out, you know? I'm like, I don't have any fears of this stuff. I'm sorry, but I don't. I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying, I'm, you may think I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. I trust God. I don't trust most of the others out there that are in positions, right? I mean, but I trust God. Therefore, I have peace, and therefore, I love life. It's a gift, and I'm going to celebrate it today, and I'm going to use it for his glory and his purpose. Yeah, do it. You know, the world's still a beautiful place. You do know that, right? If you forgot, when you walk out in the parking lot, don't forget to look up there in the north and see the Catalina Mountains with a little bit of snow on there. And if you can't get it there, go drive up that road a little ways. When you drive up there, and look at what God has made. And he did it for his pleasure and ours. So we have to see the world through a different lens than the one that we're constantly being told to see it through. Because we're being told to see everything as broken, unfixable, and all jacked up. Okay, sin is all that. I'm not ignoring that, nor am I not acknowledging that. But church, we of all people should see the glory of God all around us, and we should be living as if we are in the midst of the greatest thing ever, because we are. We're living in the redemption of God. It's amazing. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, as we look at this whole place, it all has to do with our own faith and perspective of what's going on around us. When King David was at the end of his reign, God told him that he was going to uh, use his son Solomon as the next heir to the throne. And so Solomon comes to be the next king of Israel. Now, as Solomon steps into this place... Israel is now a mighty nation. They are the world power. David was a mighty warrior, a man of God. Yes, he had issues in his life, but God forgave him and he continued forward. But as we look at this, I want us to see King Solomon's day one as the king. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, I read starting in verse 7. Listen, that night, 
God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. That's an amazing statement, question, offer from God. Amazing. Solomon replied to God, you showed great and faithful love to David, my father. And now you've made me king in his place. Oh, Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? Take a look at his heart. Seriously, God put this here for us to see the heart of Solomon. Humbled and completely blown away that he was put in this position that God had placed him in. And he knew that in his own self he was incapable. He's saying, God, you're the one that does this. You're the one that's going to have to do this. I don't have the skills, the abilities, or any of that stuff to make this work, but you do. Check it out. Here's God's response. God said to Solomon, because your greatest desire is to help your people, and you didn't ask for wealth, riches, or fame, or even the death of your enemies, or a long life, but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame, such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. That's pretty profound right there, guys. Listen to what God just said. There's no one that's ever lived or will live that's going to be smarter than I'm going to make you. They're not going to be richer than you're going to be. Everyone in the world is going to know you. And it's because of God. So this was God's choice. God gave Solomon a purpose in life and he gave him an opportunity. Now, as we view Solomon's humble beginnings, that place where he recognized that he couldn't do it and that he needed God's help, God promises this abundance of everything for him. And so now Solomon begins that reign. And everything starts happening like God said. He is smarter and smarter and smarter as the days go by. People from around the world are hearing of this wise and wealthy king. And people are traveling long distances just to be able to sit in front of him and listen to him talk. They're discovering things about the world around them and creation and how things function and work. And he's just giving forth this incredible wisdom Pretty soon his heart begins to wander. And he's drawn away by his flesh. And he begins to rely on his own logic and his own understanding, his wisdom, rather than God. There's a change that's happening. A change from a, I need you, God, to I know enough that I don't need you, God. In 1 Kings, the word of God says this to us. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. 
He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. We go from this incredible, amazing God thing and the opportunity that is presented to this tragic, self-inflicted, do-it-my-way collapse in one lifetime, in one generation. I look at this and I'm like, this guy, is he's got everything that anybody else would look upon and think that you need in life. He had it all. And he lost it. While he had it, it became his God. <laughs> and so as we look at his story and we just take that little, like those little snapshots of this, we see once again how disobedience brings destruction. He knew what God said. But it says right there in the word of God, he didn't care. He wanted what he wanted. And he thought he knew better. He thought he could handle it. He thought he would do the right things and make the right choices, but he didn't, just like God said. So critically important for us, church, that we do what God says and not what we think. We've been talking about our own understanding and the way that we logically try and figure things out, and sometimes we think we're going to work out a thing, and God's like saying, like, you need to do it my way, and we're like, I know God, but I mentioned that last Sunday about how when God's talking to us and we talk to him, and if we say, yeah, but to God, we're wrong. And right after service, someone came up and said it to me. And I was like, do you realize what you just, did you listen to the message? Were you hearing what was going on? Yeah, but a second one. I'm like, well, okay. All right. Well, I know where we're at now. All right. So <laughs> look, we need to understand that our disobedience brings destruction and we're the ones that bring it. And then we blame God when things go wrong. Like, why did you do this to me? And he's like, I'm trying to fix it. So we also see once again that when people begin to follow their flesh and their own understanding, rather than obedience to what God already says, destruction absolutely comes and it comes heavy. Friends, life is empty without God. And what we have is an appetite. We have an appetite to fill the God space that sin removed him from. And that appetite is desiring love, and the world doesn't know that. But God is love, and therefore the empty space in us is the need of love. And it's God himself, and nothing else will fill it. And so if you look, and if we just step back for a second, and we begin to look at Solomon, you see one wife didn't satisfy 700 wives didn't satisfy. And 300 concubines. A thousand women at his disposal not satisfied. All the wealth that anyone could ever have, richer than, uh, you know, these guys that are circling as the, the most wealthy people in the, in the earth, you know. He had more than that. The Word of God tells us that in his time in his nation, silver was like stones on the street. It had no value because of how much gold and all the other stuff they had. He had 
like apes and chimpanzees and animals shipped into his country. So he had his own little zoos and gardens and everything. He had everything in the world had to offer. And he came up empty. And yet many of us here today still think that if we just had something more, something different, we'd find our happiness. And yet we have this evidence from God himself saying, look, here's the the truth of the matter. We have been given this guy's life to look at and say there is no other thing that will satisfy outside of God, period. And as we look at his life and we're looking for that purpose and that meaning of life, without God there isn't one. And so as Solomon wandered from his faith and began to look at the world through the simple eyes of human reason and logic, he wrote one of the books of the Bible, believe it or not, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now I'm going to tell you that you're probably not going to get blessed reading Ecclesiastes. You may even get depressed. There's a reason. Because the man that is writing it is lost. It's crazy, isn't it, that God would give us a book written in the Bible from someone that was looking for purpose in his life, having had it once, now lost it. I want you to hear this as I read it to you. This is in the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes. It's going to depress you. And there's more after it, but I'm only going to read a little depressing moments. All right, you ready? These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around and does it again. The wind blows to the south, then it turns to the north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome and beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. (laughs) Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel and lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt tragic existence to the human race. (laughs) All right, you don't want to read this on Monday morning before you go to work. I'm just warning you, okay? (laughs) I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Wow, this is a guy that had a conversation with God. This is the same guy that was praying and saying, oh God, I can't do this, I need you. I'll give you whatever you want. Well, please just give me wisdom, God, because I don't know what I'm doing. Now he's like, man, we've been screwed over. (laughs) That's what he just said, right? I mean, that's modern English versus Hebrew, but I'm saying that's what he just said. He's like, look, man, everything's going in cycles and circles and it never changes and everything's the same. And God screwed us all over. It's his fault. Look, he had it all. He had wisdom, wealth, 
women, popularity all over the world, and yet without God, he has no purpose and he's empty. He had all kinds of knowledge. He knew all kinds of stuff. But he declares to us that all that he had and all that he was doing brought him no satisfaction whatsoever. And I look at that, and I'm like, man, is this crazy or not? I, I, I like look at this, I'm like, dude, like, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to like see how that thing was working in there and how you came here when you had so much, and now this is where you find yourself. Life without God truly has no purpose. And it's truly cyclical in its patterns of repetitious chasing of the wind. And the world is offering you the next thing to run for. The enemy is always telling us the next thing will be the thing. And so we're always trying to fulfill that love gap inside of us by chasing whatever it may be. A new career, a new opportunity, a new job, some other vehicle, some other clothing, some other identity, some whatever. We're looking for something to satisfy and we're chasing the wind because it can't ever do it. So people are looking for their purpose in what they do, their career. People are looking for their purpose in material things. People are looking for their purpose in their relationships. That's their flesh. And it's never going to be found there. Those are things we do, but it's not who we are. And the problem is our whole world is telling us what you do and what you have is who you are. Everything we pursue makes us empty by itself. And even if we did all of that together, it cannot give us purpose or value. So without God, we're still trying to fill that space inside of us. I'm not just talking to people who don't know God. I'm going to talk to people that do know God. Just a moment. Just stay with me. But without God... We're trying to fill that space inside of us that only God can fill with his own presence. And then even when we begin with God, we have to relearn that he is the purpose of our existence and nothing else is. Because once we have a relationship with God, we have to rediscover my purpose, my value, and the reason I exist. And it's very easy for us to know God but still try and find our purpose in other places when he is the purpose of our life. Remember, when God made us, he made us for a relationship with him. He gave us relationship with one another, but the primary purpose of our existence was God gave us life to have a relationship with him. So everything else is secondary to that. Even the relationship with our spouse is secondary to the relationship with God. So everything we do in life is secondary to the relationship we have with God. But everything in the world around us is telling us everything else matters but God. Okay. So those of you that don't know me and those of you that do, I was a garbage man for two years. I worked on the back of a truck throwing trash. In those days, they didn't do it for you. You did it by manpower. All right? So I'm on the back of that truck, and I would jump off the truck and grab the trash at the, the company I worked for. There was only one of us on the back, not two. I've seen those, but you would stand on a little pedestal and hang onto the bars and drive to the next spot, grab that person's trash, okay? So as I would go and do this, and I would say good morning to people, because you all never put your trash out when you're supposed to. <laughs> 
And everybody's running out in their robes and their pajamas or their clothes and their hair like this, like, I forgot, stop. Like, yeah, whatever. All right, so I say good morning to people, and some people wouldn't even say good morning to me because I was a garbage man. For real. I mean, like, straight up look at me and turn around in disgust that I would even speak to them because of who I was. So I worked in a very wealthy area of Michigan, uh, Bloomfield Hills. There is a Bloomfield Hills in Michigan, too. Uh, Farmington Hills. I worked in, um, in, anyway, there's a few other places. We were there where the, sometimes servants would bring the trash out, I mean, in those types of communities, but people wouldn't give me the time of day. I've also worked um, in an ink manufacturing uh, factory and held various positions there from pan washer uh, for the ink to uh, foreman in the shipping department and held different levels of jobs there. I drove truck delivering construction materials. I've been a student. Obviously, I'm a pastor and I've been one. I've served on many boards and district boards in different areas. I have a master's degree. This isn't bragging. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to hear something. I'm soon will have completed my doctorate. And so as I'm, yeah, you should applause for the garbage man. I'm still the same guy. All right. See how you did that? You just proved my point. All right. <laughs> I'm telling you all that because do you understand that I was the same guy? I served the same God. I became a Christian at 19 before I did. I worked in a print shop too. I forgot to mention that one. So uh, yeah, but I'm saying like I was a servant of the most high God and I had a relationship with God and God had a call on my life in all of those places that I existed on this planet. Same guy, same God, same purpose, same calling, same relationship. Church, it was me. It was him. None of that stuff mattered. It doesn't matter. What matters is this relationship with him. Do you see that? But and I'm not rebuking you. Do you understand when we applause because we think, wow, hey, good job. Great. You're, you've, you've accomplished something, which, yes, I have. I'm not denying that, okay? It's taken a journey. I mean, I'm 60 for Pete's sakes, and I'm still in school, all right? <laughs> so... <laughs> So I'm telling you all this because I'm like, look, nothing, see, okay, here's, this is the truth of the matter and what we look at in scripture and what God's saying to us. People did see me different and people do see me different based on all that stuff. But God never saw me different. <laughs> so amazing. That he loved the garbage man Dave as much as he loves the doctor Dave. <laughs> He's amazing. So parents and grandparents, as you look at your kids and you're like, you know, we have these goals or achieving things for them. We want them to have something better. than I, They can't have anything better than the relationship with God. Stop measuring in the world's perspectives. And begin to understand how important this relationship with God is over everything else. Nothing else matters in the end. Nothing else matters. <laughs> so, as I was finding myself, and I had to, even after I found Jesus, I was still damaged on 
how I viewed myself, how the world viewed me, what I'd been indoctrinated in this whole thing. And, and there was this conflict inside of me. And I know many Christians are living in this conflict inside of them. And there's this struggle for this identity and value and worth and where that's all at and everything. So I began a journey back in 2003. I wanted God to examine me and I wanted to know myself and I wanted to know him. And so I was asking him, like, God, what is it you want from me? What is it that I exist for? Why am I here, God? And I came down with this, what I have written down, and I have it in all my stuff, and I've given it to many people. I have a purpose statement of my existence. This is going to be revolutionary, revolutionary, and just blow your mind. You ready for this? I exist to have a relationship with God that brings glory to Him. <laughs> That's it, man. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I, when I began searching everything out and looking at all of it, it got so simplified. It's like, here's why you exist, man. You were made to have a relationship with God that brings him glory. It's not about me. It's not about what people think of me. It's about who he is. And if I can somehow reflect his glory in this relationship, there's no greater purpose for my existence on the planet. Now, when you boil it down, I want you to see this. It's as simple as it gets, but hear this. It doesn't hinge on me being a pastor. It does not hinge on me being a husband, a father, or a grandfather. It doesn't hinge on any of my degrees. It doesn't hinge on my health or my ability. See, if I lose my voice today, I can no longer be a pastor. But that doesn't stop me from having a relationship with God that brings glory and honor to him. If I'm no longer a husband or a father, still can do this. You see, when everything is stripped away in life and it doesn't, it's like not there, it's only him. And that relationship is what it's all about. And so as I look at that, I'm like, man, God, it's so simple. And yet it is the purpose of my existence. And therefore, if it's the purpose of my existence, it should be the center of everything I do and everything I am. Nothing else matters. So, everything in this world is secondary. We all know that. We all know that. We've read the scriptures, naked we come into the world, naked we leave. The only thing you take out of here is your faith or the absence of your faith. That's it. Period. So therefore, everything else is secondary. But we get so botched up and confused in the secondary that we allow it to cloud the primary, cloud it up, and confuse our primary. See, I surrender my all to God and live for his purpose. That is where the Holy Spirit can now lead my life to what God has planned for me. God used me and grew me in every one of those places that he had me. I learned a ton about people in the garbage truck. I did. I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about humility. <laughs> I learned a lot playing goalie in hockey. I did. I played goalie for years. I love hockey. And then I'm just telling you this for a reason, because God used that so much in my life. As I was in the net, you know, like if I made a mistake, a light goes on, a siren blares, and the whole game stops. <laughs> all right, if you ever been to these games down here, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. You suck. They only say that to the goalie. No one else. They don't know that everyone else didn't do their job out there. They know I didn't do mine because a light just went on. The siren blares like, 
You're done. Everybody reline up. That guy just screwed everything up. We're going to try again. So, you know, God used that. I'm serious. It's like, dude, this is the way it really is. If you screw this up, it's that bad. Hmm. Like, wow, I didn't realize that, you know. I will tell you one more hockey story, if that's okay. Hockey's played on ice, just so you guys don't know that. You wear skates. The very first season I played, we were in the championship game, and we were tied, and they had a shootout. Everything's on me. We lost. Let's move on. So, <laughs> year two, we won in the same situation. I want to throw that in there. But anyway, all right. <laughs> so if I surrender everything I am and all of my purpose to God, see, there is where God can actually lead my life instead of me fighting with God about where I'm going. What he wants me to do and what relationships I have, God wants to do that. He desires that for us. Do you know what I'm seeing? Like, God's not like just messing with us. He's not some mean God. He loves us. And he's trying to heal us, fix us, and understand our purpose of existence is him. Some of us are making it hard on him. And that's why he's making it hard on us. Because we're not listening well. We're still fighting with him and trying to find our purpose through the worldly perspective. Man, I'm out of time. God doesn't love you more or less based on what you do, what you have, or how others view you. Or even how you view yourself. God loves you. Isn't that amazing? God loves you. I don't care what people think of you. God doesn't care what people think of you. What he thinks of you is the only thing that matters. This issue got settled inside of me way back in the 90s. Yes, I was finding my way in this Started that journey in 2003, but in the late 90s, uh, actually early 90s, I was facing a major crisis in my life. I had been obedient to God, but it sure didn't look like it because everything in my whole world was collapsing around me, and I was being accused of things that I didn't do, and it was all because I was being obedient to God, and I was trying to fix it and trying to make everybody understand, and I was like, it couldn't. So there in the February snow and ice of Michigan, I knelt down in the backyard of the little church that I was pastoring, and I said, I give up. Lord, I know that you told me to do this. I have no doubt. I don't understand why this is going on, but I surrender. Whatever you want, I'll do it. I understand that nothing else matters, and I'm yours. And so I, in that moment, began to to begin a concept of understanding that I live for an audience of one, it's him. That there's going to be people that will clap for me, and there's going to be people that boo for me. And sometimes it's the same people. (laughs) And none of that matters. I mean, that. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's not like, "Ah, screw you, I don't care about any of you. No, I care about him. And I want him to always be applauding. Never do I want him booing. Yeah, I got to end this. Let's go back to Mr. Wisdom, King Solomon. So after the 12 and a half chapters of depression, or 13 chapters almost of depression, and, and what's the meaning, and there isn't one in all this, listen, this is how he concludes his writing. Check it out. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. 
God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. The end. <laughs> That's it. Do what God says. He finally found himself. He finally got smart at the end. It's like nothing else matters. What matters is our obedience and doing what God says to us. We've got to do that because we're going to stand before him and give account. And there's nothing hidden from God. He knows it all. So 99.9% of the people on this planet that drive down Speedway, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about Speedway right now, okay? Will never know my name. Not only will they not know my name, they'll never know what I do. They'll, know what I, they'll never know what I have. And when I'm gone, they're not going to know I'm gone. They're going to be happy there's a space for them to cut in on. <laughs> Being honest, right? For real. So think about that. They won't even know I'm gone, but God will. God knows I matter. And when I'm driving down Speedway, I'm there and God knows I'm there whether anyone else does or not. That's the perspective we need to grasp in the church, that this relationship with him is that important, that it's that important to him, and that he is watching me, and he cares, and that he loves me, and that I matter, whether anyone else thinks I do or not, whether I ever meet anyone else's expectations, I want to meet his, and I meet his by saying, I need you. I can't do it without you. I'm nothing. That first prayer of Solomon is where we need to live, not at the end. Man, I got to stop. I got more verses and stuff, but we, we need to end it. You know what was going on. Um, God was talking to me through this, so all that must be for me, or maybe next week for you, but let's move along. <laughs> I have one action step. Aren't you glad? This is it. It's an altar call for prayer to deal with what God is speaking to you about. I want you to know nothing else matters. Please hear that. Whatever God is talking to you about, that's what matters today above everything else. And so when we open the altar, it's like, you know, don't go home thinking things will be different. God wants to do something right here, right now. And he's all that matters. <laughs> You're amazing, Lord. need to coach you through it you know you're kneeling before him because he's already talked to you you're responding to the holy spirit the way god wants you to those of you that are online same thing just respond to god respond to god nothing else matters <laughs> please know he loves you <laughs> please also know he's not impressed with you I mean that in a really good way. He's not impressed with you. He loves you. He always has. <laughs> Thank you, God. We are unworthy to be loved by you, to have a relationship with you. But it is that love that is 
given us that opportunity. And so, God, we thank you that you loved us that much. We want to take full advantage of that, God, and step into the fullness of that relationship. And we ask you now to go with us today and let us share that incredible story with others who are lost and hopeless and searching. We ask this in the glorious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Thank you so much. Yeah, he's good. Thank you, Jesus.